At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's Bad With Money with Gabby Dunn. Hello and welcome to Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm your host. We've been doing these episodes lately that are listener generated, meaning I provide a topic and you all write in or call in or leave a voice memo uh, with your thoughts and experiences on that topic. We did one about pet insurance and pets, which got a huge reaction. So for this second one, I wanted to talk about childcare costs, pregnancy, IVF, abortion, surrogacy, all things related to pregnancy and childcare and abortion. Um, and so you guys wrote in and called in with amazing content. Thank you so much. And so I'm going to go through your stories and listen to your voicemails on this topic. I cannot thank you enough for being vulnerable and for sharing the way that you guys do. I think these listener-generated episodes really help because it gives a wide variety of perspectives. And I just love hearing from you guys. So let's start off with an email from Darian. Hi there, Gabby. I've been listening to your show since season one and just wanted to start out by thanking you for being the voice in finance that I and so many others need. I could go on about how your advice has helped me manage my credit and debt or how you and your guests have helped my partner and I work together through money issues despite challenges with ADHD and OCD and so much more. But I wanted to write in response to share my experience with IVF and specifically with my experience as an egg donor. I'll try to keep it short, but I'm not known for my brevity and I'm still working through a lot of emotions from the experience. 
When my cousin and his husband asked if I would be their egg donor in the fall of 2020, it was a no question, no brainer, yes. We have always been the close, fabulous queer duo among our family back in Appalachia, and I love him dearly. I also thought the act would help me cope with my own reproductive past after my abortion in 2013. Spoiler alert, I'm happy to say they welcomed their baby in April of 2022. As happy as we all are that their daughter is here, I think all three of us share some degree of emotional trauma from the ordeal for several reasons. Let me start by saying that my situation is rare in the assistive reproductive tech industry. Most egg donations are matched by agencies, and donors don't always have the relationship prior to working with an agency. Some choose not to have a relationship at all, which is totally cool too. But I could not imagine ever donating again without the support of the intended parents. I saw firsthand how the industry exploits vulnerable and low-income, mainly minority, women and people who donate. Going in regularly for my appointments felt like I was a dairy cow at a loony farm. At the time, I was working at my local children's hospital, and I just couldn't stop thinking about how unprofessional and unmedical this reproductive clinic felt. Appointments would be mixed up. We'd constantly have to repeat my health information and redo several tests due to their mistakes. Admittedly, that means they're admitting their mistakes. My cousins lived 8.5 hours away, and in the beginning, the mix-ups really cost them in flight fare. Not to mention it cost me a lot in terms of gas slash time off from work. It was chaotic to say the least. The self-injections, medication management, and 100% sobriety that lasted months was harder than I thought it would be, but doable. I also gained over 20 pounds in three months, but I was still running on pure excitement and was just focusing on doing everything right. When I was only days away from my scheduled egg extraction surgery, I opened my medication as I had done every day that week at 8 p.m., only to find it wasn't actually sealed, and inside of my new box was someone else's used needles, medical waste, and trash. I was horrified. I called the clinic in a panic, afraid that the medication schedule was now ruined, thereby canceling my cousin's flight, the surgery, my time off work. Ah! They didn't help that fear and insisted I drive the 40 minutes to pick up the medication on a work night. When I called my cousins and filled them in, they were livid to say the least. It wasn't until I dropped the intended parents said card and they got on the phone did the CEO end up agreeing to drive and drop off new medication personally to me. At this point, I was terrified to proceed with the surgery, scared that something might go wrong and we almost called it quits. Because like, how does that even happen? After a long family meeting over FaceTime, they left the decision up to me, and I decided to go through with it, but mainly only because I had their support. If I were an anonymous or matched donor, I would have absolutely went running for the hills. It just blew my mind to see how quickly the script changed once they realized I was related to the people paying the bill. And it just made me so scared and so sad for all the other women and people who donate their eggs, but don't have that relationship, and donate for the financial benefit who end up exploited. After my experience, I did more research and realized that I'm nowhere close to the worst possible never event, as they're called. I did find a Facebook group called We Are Egg Donors, or WAED, that was helpful and connected me with other people who had similar, even some more scary situations. But the more I looked into it, the more angry I got. My bottom line is that if any of your listeners are considering donating their eggs, that they should be careful and do their research. This industry is not regulated, is for profit, in all caps, and when things go wrong, you have to be prepared for litigation because it's currently the only system keeping them accountable. Although the payout for some donors can be in the thousands and some find a lot of joy in their experience, doing your research and asking tons of questions before deciding whether or not to donate will help prepare you for the self-advocating you'll need to do in order to preserve bodily autonomy and safety. Thank you for all that you are, Gabby. Much love. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much for that email. That 
that was so informative and also so terrifying. And I'm sure other people have similar experiences. Okay, here is an email from Jay. Hi, Gabby. Please call me Jay. She, her. I'm writing in response to your call for stories about pregnancy and childcare costs. I have so many stories because kids are freaking expensive in all the ways, but I'm going to focus on one particular cost that surprised me. I live in Florida and I had my daughter in July of 2010. I was working at a very small company for almost eight years at that point. My husband was in between jobs, so we were both on health insurance through my job, which wasn't cheap, but it was manageable. My company policy was unpaid maternity leave for up to eight weeks. So after the birth, I took the full eight weeks off. My husband stayed home with our daughter when I returned to work. Now for the surprise. My first day back, our HR person met with me and explained that I owed them some money for the weeks that I was out on unpaid leave. Yup, that's right. I owed them money for taking unpaid maternity leave. Surprise! They said my health insurance premium got pulled out from my paycheck, and if I didn't get a paycheck, but I'm still on the insurance, the money has to come from somewhere, like my pocket. Whoa, Jay, wait, holy crap. Because you weren't getting a paycheck, they weren't paying the health insurance premium, so you... How does that... Okay, wow. Anyway, okay, back to Jay. In addition, I had added my daughter to my insurance plan, so our rate had also more than doubled for those eight weeks I was on unpaid leave. I can't remember the exact total, but it was probably around $2,000? Hearing this news as an exhausted first-time parent with an unemployed husband and battling with undiagnosed postpartum anxiety, I broke down. It seems obvious in hindsight, but I honestly didn't know. Why had nobody told me this before I left on leave? The HR person said that most people at the company use their vacation time and sick time during their maternity leave, so it's technically not unpaid leave. This was never communicated to me as an option, or I totally would have done this, at least for some of the eight weeks. What the? You have to use vacation and sick time? That, what? Okay, sorry, back to Jay. Side rant. The time after having a baby is not vacation time. Your body has been through hell, you aren't sleeping, there's a screaming baby who can't tell you what it needs to stop screaming, and you feel like you're doing absolutely everything wrong. We should be able to get ample paid leave from our jobs after having children that does not require us to use accumulated vacation time. The lack of maternity leave in this country is appalling. I mean, this was 12 years ago and nothing has changed. Fortunately, I pay for supplemental short-term disability insurance from Aflac, which considers pregnancy a disability, LOL. So I got a check from them that ended up being close to the same amount I owed my company for taking maternity leave. I deposited the check, then paid back my company. We had intended to use the Aflac money to help pay for the cost of birth, which is still not cheap even with insurance, and other bills since we had essentially no money coming in for eight weeks. Having to pay that money back to my company really sucked, and we had to tap into our savings instead to scrape by until my husband got another job. I wanted to bring this up because it was honestly something that never occurred to me when I was pregnant. We got lucky with having the Aflac and our savings to fall back on, but I'm sure an unplanned $2,000 can hit some budgets really hard. 2000 is a tiny little drop in the bucket of costs involved with birthing and caring for another human, but we could have spent that on lots of other things, like our mortgage or food or diapers or a therapist. I guess the lesson here is to talk to HR thoroughly about everything associated with any parental leave policies and ask questions if you don't understand something. Or maybe move to a country that has universal health care and logical parental leave policies. Anyway, thanks for reading this. I hope it can help someone out. I really appreciate you and the work that you do. And I always listen on the day episodes drop. Jay. Thank you so much, Jay. Uh, Again, like just with these two emails to start us off, so much information, so much helpful sharing. The number one thing about this show is that everyone has agreed to be honest and to share with each other. 
And I think even though these things are like, quote unquote, mistakes or things you didn't anticipate or things you didn't whatever research enough, the fact that you're willing to share them here and to help other people listening is is always so moving to me. Okay, this is an email from Jennifer. Hello, Gabby. I originally wrote this email in response to the email you read a couple weeks ago on the mailbag episode where a listener talked about the cost of raising a child. After this week's mailbag, when you said you wanted to hear more about the cost of raising a child, I knew I had to send it. I would love to hear an episode on the economics of childcare because I think what a lot of parents don't understand is how little the people who take care of their children make and how that impacts everything else. I'm sorry this email is a dissertation, but I have a lot to say. You don't have to read it all on the mailbag if it's too much. Well, guess what? I'm not reading it on the mailbag. I'm reading it on our childcare episode. So joke's on you. It's actually very fitting. I worked at a Catholic daycare in Montana and then at a daycare associated with a major hospital in Oregon. The Catholic daycare was expensive for the area, about $700 a month per child, depending on the child's age, and gave scholarships to kids in the foster care system or whose families were recommended by CPS. At the daycare in Oregon, the parents were typically doctors or scientists. I don't believe there were any scholarships available, and in my two-year-old classroom, the fee was $1,400 per kid per month with the employee discount. $1,700 a kid per month if the parent didn't work at the hospital. Whether $700 or $1,400 per month, this is a lot for parents to pay, and something needs to be done about it. Universal pre-K is a great start, but kids younger than three need somewhere to go too. But I want to talk about my experience as a teacher. In Montana, I got $8.50 an hour. I got a $1 raise when I got my child development associate, a credential that requires taking some classes, passing an exam, putting together a portfolio, and having an in-person evaluation, and another $0.50 raise when I became a lead teacher in a classroom with 16 two-year-olds. I got no PTO. Wage theft was not uncommon. We were open almost every weekday of the year, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. When I moved to Oregon, the center was desperate for a teacher for their two-year-old classroom. Because I had a master's degree in a non-child care subject and because I had my CDA, they agreed to pay me $15 an hour, but told me up front I would never get a raise. I was one of the two highest paid teachers at the center, and also there is no union for daycare workers. Unlike what most people assume, the stress of working at a daycare center does not come from taking care of toddlers all day. Daycares do not have substitute teachers. If one teacher is out, kids and or teachers have to be moved around so the ratios work out. And you never know when this will happen. At the center in Montana, there was a policy that only two teachers could be out at a time. Once I fainted due to low blood pressure and called out sick, only for my boss to call me hourly asking when I would be coming in. Yes, I did work that afternoon. In Oregon, teachers were out constantly. I never knew which classroom I or my kids would be sent to or what time I would be able to get home. It kept me up at night. That combined with the responsibility of making life or death decisions for toddlers all day was exhausting. I remember going out on a date after work one Friday night and I was so burnt out on making decisions that when my date asked what I wanted for dinner, I yelled, you decide, in all caps. That's very funny and also sad. When I made the heartbreaking decision to leave teaching because it was not ever going to pay enough, parents told me they weren't surprised because they knew I was capable of so much more. More than raising their children. More than potty training them, teaching them conflict resolution, helping them understand their emotions. More than being someone they could trust and rely on who created a safe space for learning. Anyway... I was really lucky. I am white. I come from a family that could give me extra support when I was making extremely low wages, and the state of Montana paid for my CDA. 
Most childcare workers are women of color, many of whom do not have much financial support to fall back on. Most cannot even afford childcare for their own kids. Some centers are really great about telling employees about how to get money from the state to pay for CDA classes. Some are not. But even that won't get you a living wage most of the time. Turnover hurts kids. With each new teacher, children have to build up trust to a level where they feel confident learning again. Childcare providers know this, but low wages lead to a constant turnover. And parents are paying top dollar for this chaos. It's not an exaggeration to say that the state of childcare in this country is a crisis. And I get worried when I see legislation that sounds good but requires teachers to have college degrees without any guarantee that they will get paid more. I think everyone I know is sick of hearing my rants about this, but once you've seen how broken the system is, you just can't unsee it. Even people who know caregivers are undervalued likely don't truly understand how much. Thank you for everything you do. Your podcast is one of my absolute favorites. I learn so much every week. Jennifer. P.S. The last time I sent an email, you said I should be a writer, and that made me so happy I cried. So thank you for that, too. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Teams buried in manual work. Taking forever to close the books. Getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, you should know these numbers. 37,025-1. 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining, accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. If you have all the information about your business in one place, you can make way better decisions. And this is an unprecedented offer, meaning this is totally worth your time. As someone who runs a business, having all of this together in order to close my books, that would be invaluable. It's a time saver. It's literally the biggest time saver. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. That's netsuite.com slash badwithmoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because when I'm looking to work with someone, I really need to be able to get someone fast. My job works very fast. Podcasts work very fast. And I've actually been looking for an assistant and I don't need to waste time sorting through matches without getting the highest quality person, right? When I'm looking to hire someone, whether that's a grant writer or a musician or something like that, it's very overwhelming because you get a lot of messages, but you're not able to like parse through yourself which ones are actually worth looking at. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash badwithmoney right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash badwithmoney terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Have you been using Mint to manage your finances? First, the bad news. Mint is shutting down. Now, good news. There's a better alternative. Monarch Money. Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it. That's right. I use Mint and now I'm using Monarch Money. It is very stressful, confusing, and time-consuming to manage my finances. I've tried other finance apps. They don't really work. Like, you know, I was very committed to Mint and then I was uh, deeply sad when Mint went away. But now I have tried Monarch. It's so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I mean, I really value a company that is proactively looking at how to make finances easier. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, also has built in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Can you imagine being able to have a budget app with your partner? That is wild. You can see all your finances. You can collaborate on your budget. You can get insights on your cash flow and reoccurring transactions. It's a very easy way to manage a household's finances. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all your tags and categories. Monarch is the most customizable budget app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y slash badmoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Oh, you're an excellent storyteller, Jennifer. You should absolutely be a writer. And this is something you should absolutely write about. I think this perspective, whether in fiction or nonfiction, would be an incredible thing to write about. And I highly encourage that. Okay, let's read. This is a very long email from Aurora, but let's get into it. Hi, Gabby and Mal. Mal is my sometimes co-host, but uh, they're not here this week. It's just me. Hi, Gabby and Mal. Our major costs for baby potato birth 2021 daycare $1,725.71 per month or $20,708.52 annually. Can start at six weeks of age. Babies have higher cost. Cost decreases at about one year. We are at a median cost daycare in our area. It is not a fancy facility. Housing. We went from renting $1,350 per month, one bedroom, to buying a townhouse, two bedroom. Mortgage, $1,660 and $19,920 annually. We had a 20% down payment, so we also lucked out on this one. Healthcare. This was shockingly low, although we are still getting occasional bills for it. 5K out of pocket. So these are their costs for their baby, Potato. That was, <laughs> I don't think the baby's name is really Potato, although with queer people, you never know. Uh, birth 2021. Okay, then they list extra queer costs. One, fertility slash getting pregnant. We were extremely lucky and got pregnant on first try with IUI, which someone else is going to explain in another email, actually. 
IUI, okay? So just keep that in mind and we'll learn what that is in a second. $2,500 out of pocket. Second parent adoption. That's right. My wife had to adopt her own child. If we're in a car wreck in a conservative place where all my family lives, we wanted to make sure she is the legal parent of our child. We also did a will to ensure our kiddo is protected and goes to the non-racist, sexist, homophobic family members. We were super lucky on this one and have queer lawyers, so they knew exactly how to address this situation. 5K out of pocket. Sexism in our careers. We're two women who will earn less throughout our careers. We also both face the discrimination mothers face throughout their careers, even though our family structure is extremely balanced. Women's pants don't have pockets, so who knows how much this costs us in the long run. And then a cheeky little emoji. Because women's pants don't have enough pockets. And that's true, and everyone knows that. Advice to all prospective parents. Fertility treatment is almost never covered on insurance, and if it is, you have to have straight sex unsuccessfully for a year before it qualifies, usually. Signing up for daycare early is the most important thing you can do for your career success. Welcome to the closet. Ensure that you and your partner have a person slash people at work who will support you and understand the stresses of pregnancy and parenthood. It is important to stay closeted to a majority of people about being a parent. If people know you're a parent and can and will impact your ability to be successful in your career. Okay, I don't know if I agree with this, but that, that is a strong statement. Prepare for major financial choices before pregnancy and parenthood. Your capacity to make logical decisions about money will greatly diminish during those times of stress. You will see the word luck show up a lot in this email. There are a lot of factors out of your control. How can you best cope with uncertainty? Therapy? Knowing you have a savings for unforeseen expenses? Support from family and friends? Pleasantries. And then this person gives some pleasantries for me. So here they are. I've been listening for years and I really enjoy your content. I've been trying to listen the day episodes drop as much as possible. Two people have mentioned this so far. I just want to say that I often say that if you listen to the episodes the day they drop, it helps us get on the charts. And it really does. And we've been on the charts, actually. We've gotten back on the charts a bunch of times because of this. So thank you so much. It really does make a difference. Okay. Thanks for being brave enough to live your identity and be a public figure. Hi, Mal. It's great to hear your perspective. Thanks for offering alternative views and approaching topics from a different direction. It's cool to hear how kindly you discuss these topics together, even when you don't always agree on every detail. Beans is very lucky to have y'all. Beans is our dog. I am a cis homo woman married to cis woman, and we have two uteruses. We have a strong partnership, have done tons of therapy, and spent years preparing for having our child, mostly financially. Our kiddo is about to turn one, so we've been going through finances again. Let me take you on a journey through 14 spreadsheets of detailed tabs on projected and annual costs of pregnancy baby per year. Negative one, zero, one, two, three, and four. So those are the ages. My wife and I have twice yearly, sometimes quarterly, depending on financial stress, budget meetings to review spending, earning, and plan for any major changes. As a result, we have a creepy amount of information for you. Pregnancy slash becoming pregnant. We did some calculations on time and money. We are both early career, often working 50 plus hour weeks and together make 80K without taxes. Married filing joint 64K with taxes in year negative one. I don't have data for year negative two, but we had been saving before this aggressively with much lower incomes. Year zero, we saved 10K to add to the other 10K we saved earlier for our potato in liquid cash. We decided the best option for our family pregnancy was specifically me getting pregnant. We gambled a little bit with the decision to do IUI, but lucked out and our costs were comparatively very low. Neither of us have diagnosed or known fertility issues. We calculated the probability of pregnancy approaching 85% with four tries of intrauterine insemination based on this assumption of average fertility. Damn, you guys are nerds. Anyway, okay. 
We used data from the straights having unprotected sex instead of IVF or IUI data. Almost all IVF or IUI data is from straights who have fertility struggles. Therefore, the probability of success is much lower in that data than actual if you do not have fertility struggles. I also tracked my cycles for five years consistently, and we tracked ovulation with the pee sticks and temperature for two cycles before IUI. My cycle is extremely regular and predictable. Cost of sperm, three vials, bulk discount, plus monthly fee for the bank to look at donors, $60 per bank, plus cost of IUI from local fertility clinic. You can save on this in DIY or meet with a midwife. Equaled around $2,500. Financial surprises. Positives. I got pregnant on the first try. We budgeted $20K for getting pregnant, so getting pregnant for $2.5K was a huge savings. I was completely remote the whole pregnancy so I could throw up in peace and continue working full time. My colleagues didn't know I was pregnant, so I didn't face stigma slash discrimination. I interviewed for a promotion with the same company while in early labor and got the promotion just before the baby arrived, thus increasing my PTO salary. Negatives. I threw up three times per day and had extreme nausea for about 135 days while taking anti-nausea meds and eating a specialized diet. I got gestational diabetes, had to take insulin, and the baby needed two times weekly monitoring. I really did not like being pregnant. I had to work with a bucket next to my desk and had horrible GI symptoms as a result of the pregnancy, nausea, and treatment for the nausea. COVID stalled my career and decreased opportunities for advancement. Promotions and hiring were frozen for six months. I was lucky to not have lost my job, but we certainly lost money as a result of this delay in advancement. However, I will say it granted me the advantage of being fully remote while pregnant, which was so nice. I'm in a male-dominated office, and I've seen how they treat pregnant and postpartum women, so plus negative on this one, hard to say. Maternity leave. Cost, $7,267.68. I had saved PTO two weeks. I also used short-term disability for 60% pay for six weeks. I took 10 weeks off and had daycare start part-time at six weeks when my wife went back to work. She is luckily in grad school, so her salary was not impacted by taking that amount of time off. It was a struggle for my wife to maintain productivity, but she tends to operate at 150% of a normal human, so she was knocked down to about 75% and still incredibly successful. Additionally, she has an incredibly supportive mentor, program, and colleagues who helped her succeed. This is extremely rare in academia. We were very specific in thinking about factors influencing her choice in research advisor. Still, we really lucked out here. As an example, someone more tangentially related to her program said he took one week off when his child was born and he did fine. With research mentors in the sciences, a majority are male and will carry a huge amount of prejudice and bias into a student becoming a parent. Because we are both women, we were extremely strategic about who we chose to work with and who we told about our child. Surprises. You feed every 2.5 hours. We conceptually understand this, but the reality of that level of sleep deprivation is wild. We've both worked jobs that have required us to stay up all night and have a firm understanding of how our bodies respond to sleep deprivation, and we both cope relatively well. We were both hallucinating during maternity leave. You give birth and then you have a baby. This one seems obvious, but I had 30 hours of labor and my partner was with me worried about the outcome for 30 hours. Then we had to take care of a new baby, and I had a relatively easy birth too. Daycare. We got on daycare lists 14 months before the baby got in anywhere, even part-time. 
Lucky for us, we were both clinically anxious and signed up before we were even pregnant. I have talked to so many hetero couples who don't sign up early. I can understand there are huge emotional costs to getting on a daycare list early. Having a daycare say you have a spot when you have had several miscarriages and no child. I understand that would be extremely difficult. Maybe you can have a family member or friend manage the daycare list until you're 20 weeks into a pregnancy. Fertility difficulties are horrible, and I know that is why a lot of people are terrified to get on a daycare list early. However, if you don't have adequate childcare, someone will have a huge hit to their career. I was raised by a mom with a very successful career and my dad stayed home. It doesn't matter your gender, you will take a huge hit to your career. My dad stayed in the same industry his whole career. He had a master's degree in the field. He had a five-year break in employment and returned part-time for about five years and then went back full-time. I was making more than him by the time I was 25 with only a bachelor's in a closely related field. I would love to say our society has evolved beyond this problem, but it has certainly not. Taking time off work to care for a child has the capacity to annihilate your career. In a dream world, you get to work for a good employer and good colleagues who will not discriminate against you for taking time to care for a child. I find it highly unlikely in the U.S. that the remainder of your career, your employer will always be that good. Housing. We could not afford rent with inflation and annual increases beyond the first year. Before we even started trying to have a child, we met with folks at a nonprofit who do education on housing. They provided financial consulting and have direct relationships with state, county, and city subsidies for all kinds of home buying programs. We qualify for a specific kind of home loan with a good interest rate. We had savings for 20% down because our parents gave us money throughout and after college to invest. We did the math. Rent versus buy calculators are really useful. Before we even considered having a child, housing cost was incredibly important in determining whether we could afford a child. Because we own a house now, childcare cost annually is actually more than our mortgage for the next year or so. If we were renting, our housing cost would have increased this year 2K a month, so our risky decision to buy a home a few months earlier than we were planning was very lucky. That being said, we did have a large down payment and about 9K in fixes already on the home this year. So it was a huge financial gamble that something else wouldn't come up. We are extremely lucky. With inflation and the current insanity in housing, our home is no longer something we could afford if we were trying to buy today. Is it our forever home? Fuck no. But it is a shitload better than paying rent. Do the calculations and start working towards home ownership if you're planning on needing more than a studio at any point. Capitalism is a hellscape. Thank you, Aurora, for this very detailed and long email. First of all, you and your partner are a, a masterclass in planning. I, you, I don't know anyone like you, and I doubt that I ever will. But thank you so much for this. That was really informative and great, and I really appreciate it. Okay, one more email, and then I'm going to play some voicemails, and then there's some more emails, but here's a shorter one. This is from Sandy. I have to weigh in on the upcoming topic of the costs of having slash adopting children. I had a baby right at the start of the pandemic, May 2020. A strange and unexpected upside of the pandemic is that my partner and I were able to flex our schedules in such a way that we could work from home these past several years while also caring for an infant and now toddler. This type of flexibility would have been unheard of in our line of work. We both advise college students in pre-pandemic times. We've sacrificed every scrap of free time and our dwindling sanity, but have saved nearly $40,000 in daycare costs. We live across the country from our families, so all childcare has been provided 100% by us and only us for over two years now. This will come to an end in the fall when our kiddo is fully vaxxed and will start daycare. I literally do not know how we would have survived financially if a global pandemic had not occurred. What a weird dystopian statement to type. If COVID had not happened, one of us would have had to end their career when my maternity leave ran out. 
Turns out a PhD and a master's degree between us has not led to job prospects that pay enough to cover the exorbitant childcare costs in our area, equivalent to a second mortgage. Yeah, so I just want to say, Sandy, to, to jump in here, most of you have described childcare costs that literally are more than my mortgage or double my mortgage or are the equivalent of a mortgage or rent that you're paying a thousand dollars in childcare and your rent is a thousand five hundred or something like that's that's doubling your your expenses by having a child just for their care okay sandy writes luckily my partner was able to find a third job in the midst of all of this so our financial prospects are changing but what the fuck is this world even we need four jobs between us just to raise one kid in a rural college town i can't even imagine trying to support a second child or being forced unwillingly into this reality due to abortion restrictions it makes my heart want to cry and my brain want to explode love you love the show hate our dystopian present signing off sandy wow Wow, 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 wow. Thank you for writing in and sharing that. Okay, let's play a voicemail because we got a bunch of voicemails from you guys. So let's play a voicemail right now. Hey, Gabby. Uh, this is Lizzie calling from Massachusetts about childcare costs. Uh, they are exceptionally high. I have two children and in the past year, my partner and I have paid for childcare costs between the two of them, thirty six over $36,000. Our oldest is about to start kindergarten in September, so that will help. But what I also really wanted to bring your attention to was sick days amplified by the pandemic is these quarantines it's like gone are the days where you can send a kind of sick kid to daycare even if it's not covid and if it is covid it's like 10 days you know where you can't bring your kid into daycare you're still paying I work for myself. I'm a chiropractor, so I only get paid for when I see my patients. <laughs> and so if I'm the one that has to stay home that day, then I am paying for childcare that I am not getting. And I'm also not getting an income. I don't have paid time off and it's impacted like my ability to take time off for like any time off, <laughs> like fun time off with my family. This doesn't impact my ability to pay my, pay my mortgage or or put food on my table, but it still definitely impacts my earning ability. My husband is a teacher. He does get paid time off, but it's also exceptionally hard and stressful for him to take days, you know, unplanned sick days. I mean, I joke, no one ever said that kids were convenient or a good way to make money because they're not. <laughs> um, anyway, thanks for all you do. And yeah, I also look forward to a childcare pregnancy episode because um, pregnancy is a whole nother thing. I, for many reasons, chose to get my prenatal and postnatal care and birth care outside of the hospital system. I hired a independent certified professional midwife or group of midwives to care for me for both my babies for my home births. And my health insurance through my husband's employer does not cover this at all. So I paid out of pocket. The, each birth was about $4,000 for like the entirety of all the care, which compared to a hospital birth is actually insanely cheap. Um, they did cover, weirdly, my insurance would cover. I had like a couple of ultrasounds and blood work, but not the birth 
or any of the care outside of the system. Um, privilege. I could do that. I think that it saved me from having unnecessary surgery and greatly impacted my health and the health of my children. Privilege that I was able to pay for that outside of my health insurance costs. Anyway, thanks for listening and again for all that you do. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. We all know about that in my life and how hard that's been for me and also my listeners. You guys hear them talking about it on the mailbags. It is hard to manage finances with a partner. Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry, I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now and planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much for writing in, Liz. Um, I really appreciate it. And thank you for sharing about pregnancy, too. I, I was like, oh, no, 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 don't go. Share, share the rest of that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is going to get very relatable to the rest of the people writing in for sure. OK, here's another voicemail. Hi, Gabby. This is Ariel. I'm the pelvic floor PT that messaged earlier. And I'm so excited for you to be doing a pregnancy-based episode, because it's something I see a lot as a pelvic floor physical therapist. It's something we're starting to talk about more with the fourth trimester, and the OB-GYNs are starting to refer more, and pelvic floor PT can be helpful during pregnancy, after pregnancy, before pregnancy, if you have infertility or pain with sex. And it's super duper important to me. It's why I specialized in it. But if you've ever had physical therapy, you might know that it's oftentimes in a really big open gym and the therapist is seeing three or four patients at a time. And a lot of that is because of reimbursement costs. A lot of times people need to see multiple patients at a time in order to make the reimbursement costs worth it because health insurance, whether that's Medicare, Medicaid, 
private insurances are regularly cutting reimbursement to physical therapy, even though it's super cost effective. A lot of times there's a lot of pressure from clinics in order to get therapists to see more and more patients per day, per week, per hour. But with pelvic floor physical therapy, because obviously you can't do that in a big open gym, you need a little privacy. Uh, it's a bit more intimate than, let's say, an ankle sprain. So usually pelvic floor PTs are seeing one patient per hour or 45 minutes, and it's really in depth. A lot of times pelvic floor PTs get pushed out of physical therapy clinics. We can't practice the way we want. We can't take care of our patients and see three or four patients an hour. So there's been a really large movement of especially pelvic floor PTs moving into cash practice. Um, and I recently started my own cash practice. So I am doing cash pay and I'm looking into some other insurances, but it's really hard because a lot of times the reimbursement from insurance isn't worth me taking on the administrative burden, but I want to reach those patients. But if you factor in like rent and my software and scheduling and administrative costs, it cost me about $80 an hour to put a visit on. <laughs> so I'm not even reimbursing my cost if I go through all the trouble of getting Medicaid. So it's hard to increase access without decreasing quality or decreasing reimbursement. And that gets us into the Iron Triangle of Healthcare, which I could talk about forever. But yeah, I'm just super excited to hear about everybody's experience. And I'm trying to improve the space for people having the same difficulties, but plus money. So Love talking about it. Love hearing about it. Really looking forward to the episode. Bye. Thank you so much, Ariel. And thank you so much for calling in to expand on your original message. I had no idea about any of this. Like really, even the idea that you might need like a separate, more private space and the ways in which you're paid per hour literally had no clue. So thank you so much. I love when I get to hear from a specialist in something that I, I would never have thought to look into or would never have thought to cover on the show. So I really, really appreciate it. Okay, so I'm going to read a couple Discord comments, and then we'll get back into the emails and voicemails. I don't say your usernames from the Discords because I like to keep Discord a little private. So someone wrote, this is one of the reasons why my husband and I won't be having kids. I cannot afford to give them the life I'd want to give them. Let me clarify, my husband agrees and also just doesn't want kids. And then someone else wrote, if I had kids, then I would have to work a lot more to provide for them, which would in turn force me to be absent from their lives. So I will not subject any dependents to that. Very sad. I screenshotted those comments primarily because I really relate to them. Um, and also, it's just like so sad that the people that want to have children and, and in this particular instance, it was a queer person writing that they want to have children so badly and they're not able to provide the life that they want for them. And yet... Um, We've overturned Roe v. Wade for people who uh, don't actually want to have children or don't feel that they have the means or lifestyle or health to take care of a child. It's just warped. Okay, so this is a Discord comment that says, not my story, but my friend had to use an inheritance, she didn't give me a number, to do IVF and surrogacy because she would have to go off her antipsychotic medications to carry a child and was afraid of what that would do to her mental health. Another friend who is currently pregnant had to stop taking her antidepressant meds and is white-knuckling it through until she gives birth because she can't afford IVF or a surrogate. I didn't realize how many meds were unsafe for pregnancy and how that affects options before talking to them. Yes, huge, huge. 
Um, if anyone wants to write in with more stories about that, I would love to hear that because um, I know a lot of people who have had to go off their meds for pregnancy and it's been incredibly difficult. Not only the pregnancy hormones, but also the withdrawing from the meds has added a lot of anxiety and depression and then shame at feeling that anxiety and depression. Okay, this is the last Discord comment I'm going to read and then we'll get back into emails and voicemails. OMG, reason number 98, I'm finding it hard to see kids in my future. If I'm still fighting to keep up with my own cost of living at 28, how could I possibly be able to pay for another little human, especially with these sorts of things? I'm sorry your friend is having to figure all that out. That's nuts. This was in response to someone talking about how their health insurance costs are really, really high. So that's just like the general feeling over at the Discord. And I think that that is a feeling that is relatable to a lot of us and that I I find deeply relatable. So that's why I wanted to read them. Okay, so here is another voicemail. Hey, Mayor, this is Jess calling in from Richmond, Virginia, about the cost of queer pregnancy. And uh, we're pretty frugal people, my wife and I. And when we were buying sperm for our IUI journey, um, asked if there were any promotions going on at the sperm bank and they actually were running a BOGO deal. Buy six vials of sperm, get one free. And wouldn't you know, um, my wife got pregnant with that seventh free vial. So uh, don't be afraid to talk about money and saving money, no matter what you're doing, even if it's making a child who's now three and a half and the love of our lives. Thanks. That is hilarious, and I hope you've named that child Bogo. I I don't. I please don't name your child Bogo. Um, I love that. Thank you, thrifty, G- good thinking. If it can happen at a Costco, it can happen at a fertility clinic. Hi, Gabby. Um, my name is Kate, and I'm calling from Albany, New York. And I heard your call for things about. A- Pregnancy, surrogacy, childcare, et cetera, and I have some tangentially related financial things to tell you. Um, first of all, I was an egg donor almost 13 years ago for the first time, and I did it twice for the same family. I got paid $5,000 the first time and 7000 the second time. Both had taxes taken out because it was a 1099. Pretty much I was doing it for the money, but it also felt good to give something for a couple who was struggling and wanted to have a child. So it's like weird to parse out the ethical nature of it because you're, there's a big culture of you're doing this out of the goodness of your heart versus the money. But it was like I was doing it definitely for the money. But it's kind of impossible to fully explain what it's going to be like to inject yourself for weeks and kind of just get really bloated and uncomfortable before the surgery that they do. I don't really regret doing it. I do wonder if I have endometriosis now because I injected myself with a bunch of hormones, but that's like a whole other issue. The second story I have is that I had a miscarriage in 2020 after finding out I was pregnant right at the peak of everything going crazy. And I was shocked that I got a bill for the miscarriage. Um, Even though I had known, like I had a friend who got a bill before and knew that was a thing, but I was just so mad that I had to pay for, it was basically the pills that they use for like a medical abortion to help complete the miscarriage. So when you're already in such a painful spot to get a medical bill, 
for that is a lot. And I did make a lot of calls and get it reduced, but yeah, it was an added pain. Thanks for making your show. Oh, wow. Kate, thank you so much for your vulnerability. Thank you for your willingness to share this. I have heard this as well. I know that with Roe, there's been some really scary stories that I've read in the news about people having to go through longer miscarriages because they're not able to obtain abortion access. And um, and the costs of that is not something that we're talking about enough. So this will cause a lot of problems. We know like the, the plethora of problems this will cause, but... Um, the financial impact of of the healthcare of it all is a really big one that I think is very ugly and I think people don't want to confront it, right? It's it's ugly to think that we make people pay for their miscarriages. It, we portray people having miscarriages as so as so delicate and 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 vulnerable in our media. And yet we don't want to face the ugliness and the reality of what what it costs them. So thank you for writing in. Really, thank you. Um, We've been talking a lot about IUI. So I want to read this email from Megan that talks about it a little more. And maybe that will explain it some. Okay. So this email is from Megan. Hi, Gabby. Thank you for your work. I want to share lessons learned based on my family's experience with the queer fertility journey. Everything worked out in the end. This is not a story of pain and sacrifice, but there are some key points I wish I knew four years ago when we started family planning. My wife and I are two cis gay white women now in early 30s. After being married for three years, we decided we wanted to start a family. Being cis women, that means two uteruses, uteri. So we had the equipment and fortunately the financial means. In late 2018, we met with a doctor at Reproductive Science Center here in the Bay Area of California. I recommend they treated us with dignity and respect and walked us through the IUI process, intrauterine insemination. This is the less invasive procedure to drop some sperm onto the egg without a penis. As a side note, my wife and I joked that there were a lot of dudes involved in her pregnancy, but no dicks and we're good with that. <laughs> okay, guys. <laughs> okay, guys. Oh, we don't have time. There was a year-end sale on sperm at the California Cryobank. Buy two, get one free. So we bought the bank subscription and got to work picking out the donor. What is with all these sales? The, honestly, I respect it. I love I love if you're going there and you're like, I'm going to get as much sperm as I can for as less money as I can spend because sperm's a renewable resource, guys. This is just me talking. Okay, back to Megan. The subscription gets you access to the donor's baby photos, genetic and family history, number of successful pregnancies, and maybe to a poem or piece of art he wanted to share on his profile. I'm serious. We selected the donor and started the first round of IUI in January 2019. I, I've never gone through a sperm bank's like uh, list of donors. That is... I want to read your sperm poem. If you've, if you've written a sperm poem... Send it in and I will read your sperm poem on the air. Okay, back to Megan. I'm so sorry. I'm getting distracted because this is this has a lot of, of very funny twists and turns. Okay, 
Speaking to cost, each sperm vial for IUI was $950 plus shipping, and each IUI round at RSC was $500. I do have fairly good medical coverage at work, and the state of California doesn't slap on must-prove infertility for 12 months bullshit like other less progressive states in order for fertility coverage to activate. Hi, insurance. We've been fucking for the last 12 months, but we can't get pregnant. (laughs) Ah, good one. Okay. Megan says, my wife is very healthy. Everything looked good. So we felt positive going into this. January, not pregnant. February, not pregnant. March, positive test. Ultimately a chemical pregnancy, not pregnant. April and May, needed a break. June, July, and August, not pregnant. That's six IUI tries. So upwards of $10,000 plus a lot of miles driven, time off work and disappointment. Even the doctor seemed stumped. At work, after the sixth negative test, my wife called me and asked me to look into IVF costs with my insurance. Surprisingly, it came back to $3,000, medication, implantation, and all doctor visits included. We needed to buy more sperm, so rounded up to $4,000. Compared to the 10 k we had already spent, this seemed like a good option. I did not personally go through IVF, but I was there for it. It's not easy. The hormones and shots suck. The six weeks of progesterone vaginal suppositories were goopy. And technically, it is surgery when it comes to harvesting the eggs. If you're lucky, depending on fertility, about 15% of your available follicles will result in a viable embryo. We did beat the odds and resulted in four perfect embryos. The embryologist selected the best one and it was implanted five days later. I don't know what the best one means. There's a lot happening in this email. There's like some light genital stuff and then and then there was some very funny wording and then and then there's what is the best one? I'm having like Gattaca flashbacks. I don't know. Okay. Megan, this email's incredible in so many ways. <sighs> okay. Our amazing daughter was born 38 weeks later. We're now working on baby number two. My wife is due in October. The implantation process went smoothly and was about $400. However, normal cost of implantation is upwards of $4,000 without insurance. The company I work for now offers supplemental fertility insurance, Progeny, that covers 90% of costs. We incurred a $55 a month fee for embryo storage over the last two years, so that does add up. Our kids will be genetically related, which is also a benefit of IVF if the sperm donor is not available for future kids. I share this story because I wish we had evaluated IUI and IVF up front. We did not perform testing, but genetic testing can be performed on the embryos if there are concerns. I also have friends that sought a midwife to perform the IUI, which was much less clinical and invasive. Most insurance and infertility stories are nightmares, but in this case and in this state, it would have been advantageous to go straight to IVF. Megan. First of all, wow. Okay, well, again, like up top, I just want to say there's a little... A little, a smidge, a little smidge of of trans trans erasure. I just want to give a little little smidge. Um, and then the rest of this email is uh, incredible. Thank you so much for being so uh, thorough, for explaining everything with actual numbers, um, for giving people the option to see which one IUI or IVF makes the most sense for them, and also giving me the knowledge that sperm poems exist, which now I can rest easy. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Okay, here's another voicemail from Katie. Hi, Gabby. This is Katie. I am calling about more kid stuff. You should do just a whole season on kids, probably. Um, I don't think you've ever done anything about adoption and fostering from a financial standpoint. Uh, My spouse and I really want to adopt, and it is very intimidating and a lot of money that we have to save up for. In addition to the fact that my spouse was um, surprised that adoption um orphanages aren't still a thing um but that's because you know everyone goes into the foster system so they want to adopt an older kid but i don't think that's something we can do um and the foster system prioritizes keeping children with their biological parents after getting their lives situated uh so that's not even a guarantee that you would be able to actually adopt that child which isn't necessarily a financial issue but anyway Um, Yeah, adoption and fostering would be something that would be really interesting to go into uh, as far as the money with that part of raising children for those of us who are not going in a biological direction. Uh, Thanks. Okay, so this is an interesting conversation. Um, If you want to know more about adoption, we didn't get that many messages or emails about it. If you want to know more about adoption, uh, we did an amazing episode of my other show, Just Between Us, with Angela Tucker, who talks about being an adoptee and her experiences. Uh, It's a really raw, really uncomfortable episode in some ways because it destroys the narrative that I think a lot of people have about adoption and foster care. Um, I highly recommend it. It really changed me and Allison's lives having this conversation with her. Um, She goes by Angela Adoptee, I think. Uh, So yes, please, please go listen to our episode with Angela uh, Tucker about adoption. It it really covers a lot. And and we could do an episode of Bad With Money about it too, but that was really um, eye-opening. Here is an email from Rachel about IVF. Hi, Gabby and Mal. Mal's not here, but they they love you in spirit. Okay. I'm writing in regards to your request for IVF stories. IVF is a super broad topic, so not sure exactly what type of stories you're interested in, but since it's a money show, I'll stick with finances. My husband, cis man, he, him, 34, and I, cis woman, she, her, 31, have been trying to get pregnant for 2.5 years, and we've been doing fertility treatments for about 1.5 years. We have unexplained infertility, so the doctors can find no reason why we aren't getting pregnant for either him or I, which is extremely frustrating. We are about to start medication for our second egg retrieval. Our first retrieval left us with three embryos. One was genetically abnormal, so it was discarded, and the other two results in a failed transfer and a chemical pregnancy. So far, we have spent $55,000 as we have no fertility insurance coverage. Okay, I'm I'm super curious about genetically abnormal. If any disabled people are listening or or if anyone has thoughts on this, the the IVF and the IUI conversation around picking genetically stuff about your kid. I'm so curious about that and and what a slippery slope that is. But I, but I I won't judge anyone. I do not judge anyone at all. I'm just I'm just curious cuz it keeps kind of bumping for me. Okay, my insurance paid, subject to deductible of course, for the testing that told us we were infertile, but not for actual treatment. The breakdown is approximately $11,000 for medications, $19,000 for two egg retrievals, $15,000 for three transfers, $4,000 for genetic testing, $6,000 for other fertility testing, IUIs prior to IVF, vitamins, pregnancy tests, etc. We are very privileged that we can afford to pay for this out of pocket, but it is still an expense no one ever thinks they will have, and I feel so much 
sympathy for those in our situation who, due to finances, don't have this option. I get asked a lot how we pay for it, and I never know how to answer, because the truth is we just live way below our means, which we can do because we have well-paying careers and we don't care to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. I don't like telling people this, though, because I know it isn't helpful for someone living paycheck to paycheck. I don't know. It's a lot of money, and I'm starting to feel more and more uncertain about it. I mean, I am paying tens of thousands of dollars to bring a child into this world, a world that I think kind of sucks and keeps getting worse, a world where I don't know if my child will be able to have a good life. My husband does want a child, though, and I do too. I just don't know if continuing IVF is right for us. So we are going to do the second retrieval and one transfer. If that doesn't work, we will take a break. We chose to genetically test our embryos. Oh, here we go. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay, well, now we're going to get an answer to what I just said. I also was thinking, since I said that, I was thinking about how with Jews, they test for Tay-Sachs. If you're both Jewish, they test um, for the genetic abnormality Tay-Sachs. So I was like, well, I don't know. That's like kind of a normalized thing in the community that I come from. Anyway, okay, we're going to get into Rachel's thoughts on this. So here we go. We choose to genetically test our embryos to ensure there are not chromosomal abnormalities, missing chromosomes, extra chromosomes, etc., that may lead to miscarriages or severe defects. We could also choose the sex. We didn't find out the sex last time because we truly don't care. But for this next retrieval, we might. If I have a choice to raise a boy over a girl in a post-Roe v. Wade world where my daughter has less bodily autonomy than a corpse, would I be wrong to exercise that choice? I'm rambling. I'm not sure exactly what you would like to know, so feel free to reach out for more specifics. The whole process is tough and unfair and sucky. When you choose IVF, you are constantly questioned as to why. You are judged for choosing this route versus adoption, while at the same time, people who conceive naturally are never asked this question. There are so many ethical questions we've had to grapple with and decide where we stand. Feel free to read all of this or parts of it. Best, Rachel. This was a tricky email all the way through, all the way down. It asked questions and it answered questions and it created more questions. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine being like, I'm spending so much money that could otherwise go to raising a child that already exists in this world. (sighs) Also, like being able to choose the sex is truly crazy, especially because you, you you never know, right? I mean, my parents had a daughter and here I stand. A, a queer man here for you all not a man I'm not a man I'm rounding up but I'm just saying like you never know you, you don't know what you're getting that's you know and I think sometimes with kids right that's the thing you don't know what you're getting and you have to just love whatever you get as we used to say in my um, preschool you get what you get and you don't get upset no that's not true that's a very <laughs> that's a very big oversimplification I would love to hear responses to this because I had I had an adverse reaction to the the chromosomes aspect of it and the genetic testing. I had I had a weird reaction to choosing the sex. I I totally get what you're saying about being judged for doing IVF. There's so many ethical questions raised by just like one medical procedure and one child bearing choice. It's so and people get really really heated. I mean, people, this is like something that is like one of the big ethical questions of our time, I think, if if the science starts getting even more prevalent and even more specific. Okay. Here's an email from Sam. Hey, Gabby, I'm not sure if this quite matches what you were looking for in regards to stories about the costs related to having kids, but I thought I'd offer a perspective that isn't often considered. Content warning, miscarriage, and abortion. Back in 2017, my spouse, they, them, and I, they, them, started trying to have a baby. I had an early miscarriage in August 2017 and then found out I was pregnant again in early 2018. We were thrilled and everything was looking really good until the anatomy scan we had at 18 weeks. We found out the amniotic fluid levels were extremely low, and after the doctor ruled out 
all the usual causes of this issue, we were told it was likely because the baby had poor functioning kidneys, though they couldn't be sure. There was no way to test for this before giving birth, and if I gave birth, it was likely the baby would have underdeveloped lungs or would need to be on dialysis, assuming we made it that far at all. So with this devastating news, my spouse and I agreed our best course of action was an abortion. The abortion itself went smoothly, and the people who cared for me were lovely. But because I was 20 weeks, it cost almost $2,000 out of pocket. I submitted a claim to my insurance afterwards. The clinic didn't accept insurance, but they only agreed to cover a small percentage of the cost. Fortunately, my spouse and I were in a position to be able to afford this, but I know it would have been a big financial blow to other families who are less privileged. I have no idea what costs we would have faced if we had continued with the pregnancy, especially since our baby would have almost certainly had medical problems. On a lighter note, I'm happy to say that I had my rainbow baby, a baby born after pregnancy slash infant loss in February 2021, and they bring my spouse and I so much joy. Sam. Thank you for writing in and being really vulnerable and being specific with cost and and explaining this very probably really hard and traumatic decision that you guys had to make. Again, one thing I love about the show is how willing you all are to to be so open and to share not just with me, but widely publicly with each other. And I hope that this makes a lot of you feel less alone and I just I just can't thank you guys enough for for how honest and and open you are on this show. It really I I feel moved sometimes by emails like the ones I've read so far and like that one. Okay. Whew. I'm going to read one more email and one more voicemail and then I'll release you. This is an email from T. Longtime listener writing to one say hi, two say thanks, three beg you to talk about making babies. Hear me out. I've always heard a lot about how expensive children are, especially as a tool to scare me out of getting pregnant as a teenager and or while unmarried. However, people and healthcare providers don't mention how much more expensive getting pregnant and or having kids is as you age, especially if you are queer. I found this out the hard way at 34 when I used all my savings and some to subsidize fertility and additional unpaid leave after a traumatic birth injury. I'm black, so apparently the last part was to be expected. Oh, God. Right. The the amount of uh, medical trauma sustained by black women and the amount that they are not believed or taken care of by medical professionals is l- largely documented. It's not even a conspiracy. You can you can read the statistics and data and it's just true. OK, back to tea. Thankfully, my wife and I paid out of pocket for a doula or I would definitely not be here right now. Worth it. Our baby is the best. But we are still renting while we replenish our house and retirement savings. Do you plan to do an episode on how cost prohibitive starting a family seems to be? T, you're listening to it. Just the cost of physical therapy after giving birth was a fortune and mostly not covered by my insurance. I would have started saving years ago had I known all of this. Sidebar, it's actually inhumane to take away abortion access for people with uteruses because I can't imagine going through all of this very expensive and, as it turns out, deadly journey by force. That's another rant for another time. Thanks for all you do and keep up the amazing work. So happy for you, T. Yes, uh, there are statistics actually specifically related to birth that show that black women are more likely to have traumatic birth injuries um, and are more likely to die during childbirth. Uh, you can read all about those. Just Google it. It's it's very common and hugely racist and unfortunate and sincerely well-documented. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of noise made about that. 
Um, but I have heard that over and over again and and read articles and seen statistics about that over and over again. So tea is 100% part of a larger problem that comes from uh, black women and black people with uteruses giving birth. So again, I mean, just the vulnerability. Thank you so much for writing in and for sharing that. And yes, and I wanted to note that you mentioned aftercare from giving birth, which is a huge, a huge cost. So yeah, that that is something that hadn't been mentioned really up until now, other than Ariel's voicemail about pelvic PT. But yes, getting your body back into a position where you can use it the way that you once did is a huge cost from pregnancy. Okay, this is one final voicemail, and then I will release you. And I'm sure you guys will have more thoughts and write in even more because we covered so many um, hot button issues this this episode. This is from Liz. Hey, Gabby, it's Liz. I actually wrote in uh, about the ch- cost of childcare, and I just wanted to leave a voicemail for your uh, childcare, pregnancy, everything episode because. I had to quit my job and get a new one before I could become pregnant, which is a cost of becoming pregnant or becoming a mother that we all that I don't think people think about. My old job, I was on the road all the time. I was often on construction sites, working incredibly long days. Um, and it just, and if I had become pregnant and suddenly become unable to travel or unable to be around like all of the safety hazards that you find at a construction site, I would have just had to quit or, I don't know, possibly be fired. I don't know how it would have worked out. So when me and my husband started talking about wanting to become parents, I started the process of getting a new job, moving to a new place with a new job that I could actually, you know, have a kid with, and then working at the company over a year because I didn't, I just felt it'd be a bit weird to start there and then immediately get pregnant and take time off. So uh, I just wanted to add that because it hadn't occurred to me until I was thinking about everything that I did before I got pregnant. And I'm not sure that everybody can go and find a job that is compatible with uh, creating another life and then raising another person or, or having somebody physically dependent on you, like if you're breastfeeding. And I don't think we think about that enough. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Love the show. Bye. Thank you so much, Liz. Um, I love that voicemail. Yes, getting a new job. Also, I don't think it would have been weird to immediately get pregnant, but uh, Aurora talked about that a bit in their email, um, being treated differently at your job. So I, I can see why you made that decision. Well, thank you so much to everyone for writing in. I have two other listener write-in episodes that I want you guys to send stuff for. One is we're doing an episode about medical testing or selling your body to science. Uh, a lot of you guys have already sent voicemails. If you, if you sent a voicemail and I haven't played it on a mailbag, that's because uh, we're saving it for that episode. So please write in. And then two, I'm thinking about doing an episode about the costs of transitioning. So if you guys want to write in and give me some thoughts on that, let me know. And if enough of you write in, we might have enough to do a whole episode about it. So here's where you email me. Gabby is bad with money at gmail.com. Or you can leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also email me a voice memo if you prefer. Join our online communities too. We're on Instagram, Discord, TikTok, Patreon, and Facebook. Links to all of these will be listed in the episode description. Don't forget to listen to the show the day it drops. Couple of you said you did it. And that helps us get on the charts and spread the word. That's right. We're back on the charts, baby. Thank you guys so much sincerely for writing in and for being so um, honest and transparent. I just I love you guys. And I feel like 
I don't know. My heart just, not all of these were happy emails. My heart just feels good because I feel like, you know, I talk a lot and I put this podcast out and I don't know if anybody cares or listens. Um, And it's just, it's just really nice that everyone wants to write in and, and share and help each other. And it reminds me that you guys exist and have full lives and, and can help even me. So thank you. Um, Okay. Don't tell anyone I got emotional. Bye. Done. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.